0: The title of the message, if you'd like to turn there, from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the title of the message is Stand Fast in Everlasting Consolation and Good Hope. We're actually just going to pick it up in the 13th verse just for time. We'll be moving around a little bit, but picking up at verse 13, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, Beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctific- sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth to which he called you by our gospel for obtaining the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts, and establish you in every good word and work. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for bringing us into your presence, Lord, among a church family that loves studying your word and being in your presence, Lord, and loves your Holy Spirit, Lord, and loves one another. We thank you for gathering us here today. We pray for Pastor Tim and many of those who are not sick and those who are returning from Israel and not feeling well, Lord. We pray for your blessing upon them. Help them all recover fully, Lord be with them today. Be with us, Lord. Bless our study, and we pray that you would just give us your Holy Spirit to understand these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Right, so we're focusing on this section of the scripture. As I stated, the title is Stand Fast in Everlasting Consolation and Good Hope. I love uncovering mysteries in the scripture. A mystery is something that has not yet been revealed, but in God's timing, it will absolutely be revealed to the faithful. So not everyone will understand these things, but the people that search diligently will understand them. So a few summary points from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, just to, just to uh, give an overview there. It discusses the timing of the rapture, where it states concerning the coming of our Lord and gathering. That is referring to, you'll notice in your Bible, you'll notice a, a reference back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, now this proves that the rapture is a real event. So 1 Thessalonians 4 proves the rapture is actually happening. There is, or or will actually happen. There is a false teaching happening now, which where people are claiming the rapture is a fairy tale, it's not really going to happen. But 1 Thessalonians 4 describes explicitly what will happen. 2 Thessalonians 2 talks about when it will happen. So it talks about that, it discusses, about, discusses the revealing of the Antichrist and the abomination of desolation. It describes the punishment for those that reject the truth. It commands us at the very end, it commands us to stand fast, and it also provides us words of hope and everlasting consolation. So it's, it really concludes that chapter with encouragement as well. One other verse that is encouraging to me, you don't have to go there, but it's Matthew 16, 18. You all know it well. And also, I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I was thinking of this just because our our team would have been in Israel about the time, uh, coming around that time that I taught. And so um, I was in Israel six years ago, and so we went there, and it was uh, very neat to see. We have a picture of it, if you don't mind showing that, please, for those of you who are not familiar with Caesarea Philippi. it's basically what it is is it's a place in israel where there was a lot of human sacrifice and part of the reason that i did this message was because of so many things that have happened within our country over the past 3 weeks discouraging things if you wouldn't if you don't know how to interpret them and see what's going on for example we have several states now pushing for abortion on demand including an attempt here in virginia but new york, vermont, new mexico different places Trying to get it so that there's abortion on demand all the way up until the time of birth, which is which is horrible. That's that's essentially murder. And so this just all happened recently. Just this past Monday, our state had, or I'm sorry, our country had the opportunity to protect babies that survived an abortion, and our country voted that down. So if a baby had survived an abortion, our country voted to not provide medical care to that infant. And so just these these horrible things happening. Other things, just uh, significant taxes, the Green New Deal, things like that. Worldwide, the protests in France, things like that going on 15 weeks straight, where we're seeing people group versus people group. We have the India and Pakistan conflict, which, which I'm hoping is calming down now. One other thing that had just happened prior to me teaching was my wife and I went into a bookstore with our young children, and on one of the end caps, there were... The, the entire end cap were titles of books with explicit profanity, where they had like one little asterisk covering co- covering one of the letters of the word. But the entire shelf was profanity, the strongest possible curse words that you could have, and little children running by that ours as well. So I went and spoke to someone about it, and but that's just a sign of what's happening, of how our country, our, we're being desensitized to. To things that are vulgar, and we don't even care. It doesn't even really phase us that much. 25 years ago, I don't think it would have happened. But things seem to be moving at a very rapid pace. Uh, sorry, at a very rapid pace. With all this, I encourage us not to take a defeatist attitude. We're still called to stand. We're called to be a salt and a light, and um, stopping the spread of corruption. We're also called to do it, knowing how bad it will get. And it's encouraging because the Bible calls us to be a salt and a light and all to to take comfort and to take hope, knowing that the Lord is going to win in the end. So right now, I'm more politically active than I've ever been, and yet we trust the Lord. We know who's going to win in the end. So with Caesarea Philippi, that was called the Gates of Hades, where these Greek and pagan priests, they would sacrifice goats and, and possibly humans into a, a great big pool of water, and if the water pulled down the sacrifice, then the gods accepted the, the offering, so to speak. And if the the body popped up, then it wasn't accepted. So it's a pagan, form of of uh, practice of worship there. But it's interesting that that's where Jesus made his famous statement, and he's challenging the Greek and pagan gods. Uh, he's challenging them, and so we have the, we have the blessed hope, and we have. Uh, Jesus' encouragement that the gates of Hades will not prevail against the confession that Jesus is the Messiah and will not not win against the church. So as we uncover these mysteries and dig into God's word, my sense is this promotes holy living too. So we're not just studying the word of God just to to try to determine the future or anything like that. I, I believe it promotes holy living. Number one, it decreases my, my need for entertainment as our country thrives on entertainment, but it's also a major distraction, which we're called to to not get too engrossed in that. And it also promotes holy living because we know the future judgment that's gonna be coming. So with that, if you don't mind turning to Matthew twenty five, please. This is the parable of the ten virgins. I believe most of you know it well. Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with the lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, no, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut." Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you do not, I'm sorry, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So as we break this down, we see that it is a parable where Jesus says, the kingdom shall be likened to. We also see that there is five wise virgins, and the Holy Spirit is represented in the oil. So these are the five but the five unwise have no Holy Spirit. And we also see that this occurs at midnight. That's something that you're going to see again and again. So those who are ready went in, went in with him to the wedding, and then the door is shut. So there are many parallels, and this is, it's a multifaceted theme here. We see the, the wedding, which foreshadows the marriage supper of the Lamb, and we, it's also, generally speaking, a reunion of God's people, we also see the door here where, like in Noah's Ark, the door is shut by the Lord himself. With Lot, we also see that the door is shut. Actually, with Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah, it happens twice where it's shut by Lot one time where he goes out to speak to the men of Sodom and he pulls the door closed behind him. But then it's shut again after the angels have to pull him in and then they shut the door. And Once the angels shut the door, it doesn't open again. And then the judgment comes also, this happens at night. In many of these events and, and parables and everything, there's a lot that happens at night. Here with the ten virgins, it's happening at night. With Lot, the men of Sodom attacked at night as well. Also notice with Lot, the true believer is surrounded. Uh, lot was taken at, attempted to be taken at night. Jesus was taken at night. A lot of this comes at night. So that's a very important theme to pay attention to. We also know that Jesus is going to come as a thief in the night. He's going to turn the tables on them. So he's also coming as a thief in the night, praise the Lord. And also with Lot and Jesus and many others that we'll see, uh, we see that the believers were outnumbered. Lot was outnumbered and things were looking very dark. So the, the underlying theme here is that the believers would be surrounded and the situation would be desperate. But there's going to be a rescue coming, so that's the important theme. It happens again and again in Scripture. For those that are faithful, there's a a rescue or a deliverance. So there's a critical teaching point here that I'd like to point out, which is that you can't base doctrine off of types. Types are foreshadowings, they're examples, but you're not really to, to base doctrine off of that. So the key principle, if you remember nothing else from this morning, is to use the direct scriptures to interpret the indirect scriptures. So there are some types that, types and examples that flesh things out for us but you're to use the, the, the doctrine that comes from the most direct scriptures like from Paul, Jesus, Peter, things like that. So we're to use the direct scriptures to interpret the indirect ones. So that's a, a key principle. We'll also see a lot of repeating patterns such as like I mentioned, many occur at night, such as the Exodus, so that's, that's something that happens again and again, and we'll, we'll talk about a couple of more examples, but all the different types and examples, they may highlight different things throughout the scripture, and they flesh it out for us. For example, Sodom and Gomorrah, the times then, it was associated with immorality, and Jesus would refer to this as occurring in the last days, and we're seeing that now. Also, he refers to Noah. In the days of Noah, it was associated with violence. And so those two things we're starting to see again as Jesus applies them to the last days. Thinking about Joseph, kind of skipping around here a little bit, but Joseph gives us an interesting picture as well. With Joseph, we have a seven-year famine, and that foreshadows Daniel's 70th week. A lot happens in that seven, seven-year period. But the seven-year famine going back to the days of Joseph is also foreshadowing of that. And at that time, what, what the typology there is, is showing us, it shows us the one-to-one relationship that Joseph had in correcting his brothers. It shows, it focuses on that, how Joseph would reveal himself to his brothers, but it's a one-to-one relationship. And a very interesting thing happens where just before he reveals himself to his brothers, He sends, the Bible says, he sends his Gentile servants away. An interesting picture of the rapture where the the Gentile church, so to speak, he sends his servants out and then he reveals himself to his brothers. So Joseph has a lot to, to show us with that. Esther, there's typology there. The Gentile queen Vashti, she dishonors the king. So here you have a picture of the sort of the church at large in the last days where Vashti would actually dishonor the king so you have a turning back to the Jews and we're also seeing a lot of this now with many of the churches. There was another uh, another major event this week as far as uh, denomination the United Methodist Church and and who they would promote and elevate people with certain lifestyles things like that and uh, it was a close vote but we see the church turning away from God's ordinances and God's, God's laws we see We see just that turning away where there's a lack of faithfulness. But Vashti, in a sense, represents the Gentile queen. So then we see see a turning back to the Jewish people, which was found in Esther. So we're seeing all these things happen now. And Paul states these are all for our understanding. All of these are examples for our understanding. A couple of other quick examples here. We have Nebuchadnezzar, where he erects a statue, which is a picture of the image of the beast. And we see that it, there's a 666 associated with Nebuchadnezzar and, the, and this statue where it's six cubits wide, 60 cubits high, and then six musical instruments start playing at the time. So there's something that the Bible is trying to tell us in Nebuchadnezzar and the statue that he raises. Goliath as well, I'm sure many of you know, the, his height, six cubits. His spearhead weighed 600 shekels. And he, also had, he and his brothers had the six fingers and then Solomon also, another very interesting type, probably one of the most interesting because at times he's a type of the Messiah in the Messianic reign, and then at, t- at times he's also a picture of the Antichrist. So he's, he's a very interesting one where you really really have to kind of watch, but he's, he's probably one of the most interesting ones as we see the whole known world going to him at one time, which is Messianic, but it's also kind of like Antichrist at the same time, where, where the world will turn to him for answers, and he's gonna be the man with the plan, so to speak. And it's in 1 Kings 10, where we start to see the 666 associated with Solomon, where he starts to receive 666 talents of gold per year, in annual tribute. So there's a, a 666, a direct 666 with Solomon there. And we see that he builds the temple, and with the temple, there's sevens all around the temple. But he also builds a house and a throne room. And with Solomon, there's a preponderance of sixes where you see there are six steps, 12 lines, multiples of, of six all around him, 600 shekels, I think, for the, for, the, for the shields. There's a lot of sixes all surrounding Solomon as well. So the Bible is telling us something there, but the, these are all foreshadowings But really, the direct scripture with this would be Revelation chapter 13. That's where it's stated directly, Revelation 13. You all know it well. The mark of the beast, it's the the number of man. And so without that direct reference, you might notice a lot of sixes associated with Nebuchadnezzar and, and Solomon and Goliath. But it may not make as much sense. But it's all a foreshadowing. And then we see other examples, and those are kind of a negative example, so to speak, but we see other examples as well where, that are messianic. For example, Joseph, he was first rejected by his brothers, but then he was accepted, accepted secondly. So we see that where Jesus was rejected at his first coming, but he'll be accepted at his second by the nation of Israel. Same thing with Moses, the pattern repeats itself with Moses where he's first rejected at his first coming but then accepted the second time and then David as well he's at first rejected as in a sense as being king and really even persecuted but then he's accepted the second time so all of these help uncover the truth of God's word and help us to understand the times especially so we can share the word with others as well so that's that's the goal cuz the the world is in distress and they don't understand the signs so it's so that we can share the gospel we We love other people. We want to make certain that we are ready in season and out of season. Now, if you don't mind turning to Acts chapter 5, please. We'll pick it up in verse 17. I won't read the whole thing. So we're kind of looking at the latter part of the chapter. But what's happening in Acts 5, starting at verse 17, we see that the church is experiencing power. And we see a persecution from religious leaders, religious believers. In verse 13, it states that the people esteemed the apostles highly. So there's a bit of provoking to jealousy here. And in verse 18 of Acts 5, it states... The high priest was filled with indignation, so he threw the through the apostles into prison. But then, at night, in verse 19, the angel of the Lord releases them. So again, there's a divine rescue, and it happens at night. So key principle there. And then they're back to preaching. Super. So it's supernatural. The angel of the Lord lets them out. They're released at night, and they're back to preach preaching. It's very interesting how it provokes the unbelieving Jewish people to jealousy here, and there's the nighttime rescue of believers, which will happen again. But it's interesting how non-believing Israel will have to examine their covenant of death that they've made with the Antichrist. So this is actually a foreshadowing of what's going to happen in the future. So as the Antichrist is being unveiled, so to speak, Israel is going to have to examine the agreement that they've made with him. And it's interesting how Gamaliel here, he recounts Israel having joined with other false Christs so the Messiah. He's like, look, we've done this before. If this is of God, let's just let it alone because other things have have failed. And so the same thing is going to happen again where Israel will sort of have to reassess who is this person that we've made an agreement with. And Gamaliel recounts it here where he brings to mind the number of times They've been joined with false messiahs or false Christs. So it will happen again. There's also another interesting parallel here where there's a love of money. That's in the first part of Acts chapter 5. I know you all know it well, but the, what happens with Ananias and Sapphira. So at the initial part of the chapter, there's a love of money, and that's part of the repeated patterns that we see again. With Jesus, it happened with Judas. There was... It was one of the twelve, he seemed to be part of the group, seemed to be a great guy, but there was a love of money that caused him to, to fall away. With the apostles, there's Ananias and Sapphira. So in the first part of this chapter of Acts 5, we see the same thing happening again where Ananias and Sapphira, there's a love of money that that stumbles them. It's going to happen again with the believing church at the end, with the Laodiceans, the prosperity gospel it's gonna happen again. There's, that's gonna be contributing to a falling away. So all of these patterns are here for us to understand what's, what's going to happen and what's happening now as well. Uh, last couple of things, Acts chapter 12, please, if you don't mind, go and write for me. So that was persecution from religious, religious leaders. And next we'll see persecution from the political leaders as well. So here we see Herod kills James, John's brother, with a sword. And so Peter is then imprisoned at Passover. So a very important thing to to note here, that this is Passover again. And again, we see a night rescue. I know you all know this well. Peter is rescued from the Roman guards. You could make the argument Jesus is rescued from the Roman guards as well through the resurrection. A woman tries to tell others that it's Peter... And then a woman also tries to tell the disciples that Jesus is risen. So you see a lot of similarities between Jesus, Peter, the church. A lot of things are being, are being foreshadowed as well as they're historic. But also we see Herod being the type of the Antichrist as well. Herod, here in this chapter, he would attempt peace through controlling the food supply. That's in verse 20. So that's an interesting facet with him, but when when... Peter is rescued, we see that he kills his own guards. It's a desperate attempt to maintain control. So just as the Antichrist, just as Hitler, just as there can be these desperate attempts to try to maintain control, that's what Herod does as well. But it's also a foreshadowing as, he, as the Antichrist would end up, l- will end up losing power, then he's, there's going to be a desperate attempt by him to maintain control as well. So here we see Herod kill his own guards the Antichrist will kill anybody who, who gets in his way or, would, or through his paranoia would be concerned about getting in his way. All right, with that, we'll look at one Old Testament example. You don't have to turn in there if you don't, if you don't want to. It's the Song of Solomon. So far, those are some New Testament examples, but the Song of Solomon is sort of foundational in, in looking at a number of these themes, and all of them working together, Old Testament and New Testament they build our faith. So we have these parables and hor- historical examples that repeat. And by understanding the, the past, you can understand the future. So uh, very neat things. But the Song of Solomon, so that that is a, a misunderstood book. I'm still trying to, trying to get a grasp on it. It's a, a very deep book. And on the surface, it just appears as a love story. But there's a lot more to it, as we'll see in just a moment but this is what's read at passover each year by the jews it was read at passover by the jews at the time of jesus as well as it's read at passover today as well so this is the liturgical reading at passover it's the story of the shulamite woman and she seems to have some divided interests and a divided heart in chapter 3 she's still somewhat faithful so she's she's long, so it's a story kind of between a man and a woman so to speak Um, she's still faithful by chapter 3. However, things start to change a little bit. By chapter 4, we see that the bridegroom is prepared to die for his bride. It states in Song of Solomon 4, 6, Until the day breaks and the shadows flee away, I will go my way to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. Very messianic. The myrrh, the frankincense, just as Jesus had these presented at birth, we see this as well with the bridegroom. So he is willing to die for his bride. He goes to the mountain and is, is ready to die for her. However, in chapter 5, she's had a change of heart. So he calls her. So at chapter 5, the bridegroom comes, and she, it's at night, and she's in bed. His hair is wet. That's a picture of the latter rain. She's in bed. She's kind of had a change of heart. She doesn't want to get out of bed to go meet the bridegroom the bridegroom so he has come at an hour that she did not expect so just like the ten virgins where five weren't ready same same pattern here and again it's nighttime and she's sleeping as well just like the ten virgins as well everybody's asleep in the in that one but we have the many of the same parallel themes there we also see that the bridegroom knocks in the song of solomon as well just as Jesus knocks at the door, as we see in Revelation, we, we see the door motif. We see Jesus knocking again, coming to try to get her attention and to rouse her. However, she doesn't want to. She's had a change of heart. She's she's comfortable, she's just relaxing and doesn't want to get up. In chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, she says, I've taken off my robe, how can I put it on again? I've washed my feet, how can I defile them? My beloved put out his hand. By the latch of the door, and my heart yearned for him. I arose to open for my beloved. My hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the lock. When I practice this, I kind of do it with like a lady's voice, but I won't do that here. Be awkward. (laughs) I don't know why I do that, but anyway, these are the things she says. So, she she basically doesn't want to get herself out of bed. He has come at an hour she didn't expect. She's not ready. So what happens? She, then she finally gets herself up, like the ten virgins that are late. She goes to the door. She gets it. She has myrrh on her fingers, and it says dripping with liquid myrrh. So what happens? Now she's the one appointed for burial. That's, that's a take-home message. Jesus, he comes, he knocks, he gives her a chance, and then he's gone. He's gone as a thief in the night. So she opens. She goes to try to find him. She's anointed for burial. So what happens? What happens? She gets beat up by the watchman. She goes out into the night lost, and she's attacked by the watchman. The same thing is going to happen with the Laodicean, lukewarm, harlot church from Revelation, whatever you want to call it, the false church. And by the way, it's going to be easy to join the church later, but it's going to be a false church. It's going to be tougher and tougher for the minority of true believers. It's going to be Easy, that broad path, it's gonna be easy to join the church, sort of the, the mainstream church, so to speak. I think that's that's my guess anyway. I think it's gonna be fairly easy to go along with that. But the Bible specifically and explicitly calls this a harlot church, the Laodicean church. There's a lot of titles. However, the, the faithful ones are gonna be ready when the Lord Jesus comes back. So her her future does not look good. But this is a picture just like the ten virgins, they're too late. The, the door is closed, so same thing. As I mentioned, this is still read at Passover, and you can see it's much more than just a love story. The Bible is so amazing when you think about it. What other book is there that can actually tell you something that's happened historically and yet point to future events? That, that is amazing. That's as supernatural as the chart of biochemistry that I showed you. That just can't happen. There's no other book that would do that. And so it's really an amazing thing. Mary is very interesting here, incidentally. So Mary, Mary Magdalene, she would have just heard the Passover story. So same story that would have been read in the days of Jesus. She would have just read or heard the Passover story. It's what they read at Passover. But she's interesting as she is a woman in the garden there. And I think about this, just the women in the garden. You know, you think about Eve being a woman in the garden, she eats from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then through her and then Adam, death enters. Rebellion, death, all these things end up happening. Mary, on the other hand, she thinks Jesus is the gardener. She's, and then she realizes, and then she's clinging to him in the garden. Just a very interesting picture sort of sort of the different women here, like the, the Shulamite woman from Song of Solomon. She doesn't go out into the garden Whereas Mary is clinging to the Lord Jesus, Jesus in the garden. So very interesting picture there also. You think about the trees with Eve, it was the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In this case, with Mary, in the Proverbs, the Messiah is likened to the tree of life. So you see Mary, a picture of her clinging to the tree of life, whereas the Shulamite woman, or I'm sorry, with Eve. You know, we don't see that first. We see the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and then death coming through Adam. Whereas with Mary she's she's faithful. She's almost in a sense a picture of the faithful church. She's clinging on to the Lord Jesus, Jesus just when all hope had seemed lost. So very interesting picture there. So we'll be concluding here shortly but as I mentioned the, there's no other book that can describe the historical events that actually happened and yet can be explaining things that happen in the future, and remembering, too, the state of the world is that people don't understand what's going on. They don't understand the signs, so we want to be ready to explain it to them. At the time of the first coming of the Messiah, 2,000 years ago, people didn't understand the signs. In fact, it states specifically that Herod and Jerusalem, they were distressed and disturbed by the signs that were happening. There was a very small proportion of people, like the shepherds, the people working at the temple, Mary, Joseph a very small percentage of the people actually understood what was going on and they could interpret the signs. It's going to happen again at the time of the second coming of the Messiah. Same exact thing. People are going to be distressed and disturbed. They're not going to understand. We have to be ready to explain that. So, and we're, as I mentioned, we are called to stand absolutely, but we're comforted as well just knowing the outcome. One other thing that I didn't talk about on that that Wednesday, but I find very encouraging is the the transfiguration. Here we see, you don't have to go there. I know know you all know it very well, but with the transfiguration when Jesus is is glorified temporarily, just a very neat picture where we have Jesus up there with some of his disciples up on the mountain. A lot of scholars think it's Mount Hermon. Hard to say for sure, but it says a high mountain mountain. I think Mount Hermon is a good guess, but there we see Jesus with Moses and Elijah. So we have the law and the prophets there, but it's also a very clear picture of the the rapture where we have up high on a mountain, we have with Jesus, we have the dead in Christ, which was Moses, and then Elijah. So Moses and Elijah. Mo- Moses died. Elijah didn't die. Elijah was taken up into the, to be with the Lord. So. Very clear picture of the rapture there at a, at a very high point. Also, I think it's neat where everybody knew everybody else. Like, hey, Moses, Elijah, that's that's our future. When you let that sink in, that's our future that suddenly we'll be with the Lord whenever this happens, and everyone will know everyone else's name. So that's that is a, an amazing picture. We have the keys to the future, and now is the time to preach. Jesus says preach while you have the light because there is a time coming when it's going to be too dark to preach. It's important for us to preach while we have the light and also be encouraged the gates of hell shall not prevail. Uh, I'm studying the gates right now. I love it. Isaiah 28 6 says, in that day, the Lord of hosts shall be strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate. That's us. We're called to turn back the battle at the gate. I had to think about what this one meant. It seems like when your city is surrounded and the barbarians or whomever it is is trying to break in and they're, they're sort of breaking down the gate, so to speak. The Lord will help turn that back to battle. And you could almost argue that's happening in our country now with the push for abortion and so many wicked things that are happening. We're called to stand and push back the battle. So, and the Lord will be our strength for doing that. So as we wrap up here, if the worship team would come up, please. We're going to take communion. We'll be finish, finishing early this morning. I would like to give an opportunity, if there's any who, anyone who does not know the Lord personally, I would like to, to give you an opportunity to get right with the Lord. If it's something that you know needs to be done, where you have a right relationship, if you've never given your life to the Lord and accepted the blood sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, dying for your sins, I would very much like to give you the opportunity for that. Something else I've been thinking about where Where in Proverbs chapter 13 it states that God's law is a fountain of life, which is an amazing thing. We know that we know Jesus being the source of living waters, and yet, what is it the world seeks after? The works, the world seeks after the fountain of youth. So, very interesting parallel, and and people doing all kinds of crazy things, lots of plastic surgery, just trying to hang on to their best life now, doing all these things, and the, the fountain of youth versus the fountain of life as, as the Bible states and it's it's right there in the scriptures but they they seek after all these other things such as freezing their bodies and freezing their heads and really let, let that sink in for just a minute people are trying to cheat death and freeze their bodies hoping one day when t- technology is advanced enough that they can hook their bodies back up or hook their head back up to something and then thaw it out and then you know live again and have eternal life but we have the source of the living waters and so you know that don't rely on, please don't freeze your head if you don't know the Lord, don't, don't bother, I, don't, I think it's too expensive first of all and I'm not sure it works and if the power goes out then you've got to make sure they have a good generator as well <laughs> lots of gas, spark plugs, all that stuff good, good, so I wouldn't rely on that, there's, there's one way and one way only so, if there, if we all here know the Lord, praise God. So while the while the men pass out the elements, we'll prepare to start communion. While the worship teams just team plays, just uh, prepare your hearts for just a moment, please. <laughs>